Welcome to the Leader Think Podcast, where we discuss personal growth and concepts for improving organizational culture. This is your host, Philip Grison. As you increase your wisdom, I hope you enlighten others on your path towards greatness. If you want to go further, head over to leaderthink.com. Hey, everybody. Today, I wanted to share some thoughts on different forms of bias. Bias that we see in others and bias that we may not be aware of in ourselves. We all have our own internal biases. Whenever we become aware of that bias, it automatically begins to diminish. If you are willing to consider that you may have bias, then you present yourself with an opportunity to diminish that bias. But the first step is to accept that you may be biased. In other words, the willingness to challenge your own belief system. Not everyone is ready for that. But if you are, it can be very rewarding to your own life and the lives of those you influence. This is definitely one of those controversial topics that requires you to open your mind and let any thoughts of judgment pass. The first form of bias I want to discuss is confirmation bias. This concept is where you look to the world for evidence to back up what you already believe to be true. If you want to find evidence that you are right, you can easily look to the world to find that evidence, even if it's not serving you on your path toward self-improvement. Pick any controversial topic, like if vaccinations cause autism. If I want to believe that vaccinations cause autism, I can easily go on Google and find evidence to back up that thought. If I want to believe that vaccinations do not cause autism, I also can go on Google and find evidence that supports that thought as well. If I want to believe that the president is doing a good job, I can go on Google and find evidence to back up that belief. But if I want to believe that the president is doing a bad job, I can also go on Google and find evidence to reinforce that thought as well. The funny thing is, when it comes to controversial beliefs, it is normal to find evidence that backs up multiple beliefs. Sometimes you may find that there are truths on both sides of the argument. If you are willing to see things in shades of gray versus black and white, you will begin to see those truths. The greater benefit is seeing the gray can bring two opposing groups closer together instead of creating division between them. The same could be said for workplace struggles. If I want to believe that employees are inattentive or complacent, I can look at the workforce and find examples to back up that belief. If I want to believe that the majority of human error is system-induced or employees are routinely placed in positions designed to fail, I can also find evidence to reinforce that belief. If I look deeply, I may find the answer is a blurred line. Self-awareness and understanding comes from looking for evidence to not only back up my currently held beliefs, but also by challenging myself to look for evidence that proves me wrong. That requires being open and forgiving myself at the same time. Truth is a choice we make. If we go deeper with this concept, you will see that what you believe to be true is actually a choice you make. Whether it's the complacency of employees, the effect of vaccinations, or the job that the president is doing, 
The truth is that we choose our beliefs. We choose to believe what we believe to be true. Consider religion. How many different truths exist in different religions? Now, at this point, I could easily lose you, but I'm going to do it anyway in hopes that you see the deeper truth here, the truth that we choose our truths. How many different truths regarding religion exist in this world? Even within one religion, multiple truths can exist. I've experienced this by being raised in the Catholic Church that was so dominant in the northwestern town I grew up in. When I moved to the South, I experienced the Southern Baptist religion that was more dominant in this part of the country. Two belief systems, many differences, but all falling under the main religious heading of Christian. Even within the beliefs of Christ, beliefs regarding salvation, there are many different versions of what people choose to believe is the truth. If you accept the fact that what is true to you is actually a belief that you have chosen to believe, then you can be more open to alternate truths. Why does that benefit you, especially when you have already made the choice regarding what you choose to be true? To become a deeper person. There are layers to us. The deeper the layer, the less judgmental we are and the more self-aware we become. But the irony is that the deeper the layer of who you are, the harder it is to access that deeper layer. Here's another example. People my age were told to believe that it is true that there are nine planets in our solar system. But is that still true today? Do you ever find yourself thinking a thought such as, I'm still going to count Pluto as a planet, regardless of what they are teaching kids in the school system these days? But my 12-year-old daughter firmly believes that Pluto is not a planet. She has chosen that belief, and if she wants to confirm that belief, she can easily go on Google and find evidence to back up the truth that she has chosen to believe. Now, none of this is for the purpose of trying to convince you to change the truths you have chosen to believe. It is solely for bringing to light a deeper awareness that our belief systems are choices that we have made. Not always are they cold, hard facts, even though sometimes we think as if they are. None of this is to help you convince others to think differently. It is just to be more aware that truths others believe are also truths that they have chosen to believe. Marcus Aurelius said, Everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. We choose what is our truth, and so do others around us. Then we confirm our truth is fact through confirmation bias. But that doesn't mean it is true fact. It just means that we have searched out other people who have chosen the same truth that we have chosen. Another form of bias that is common to accident investigations is hindsight bias. Hindsight bias occurs whenever you find yourself or someone around you saying, they should have seen that coming, or they should have known better. 
or they should have insert anything you want here. But in an accident, rarely ever does a victim want to get hurt. How easy is it to say what someone should have done when you know the outcome of the event? You know the outcome, but the victim did not have the luxury of knowing they were going to get hurt. That is hindsight bias. Would you want to purposely suffer? The victim in the accident most likely didn't want to suffer either. What help do we provide when we make that judgment? That judgment that they should have known what would happen. They did not know they were going to have an accident. If they did know, they would have done the should have insert whatever you want here that they should have done. We never know exactly what it was like to be in that person's shoes, the pressures they were under, the personal issues they were going through outside of work. All we really know is what the outcome was. An accident is one small event in a chain of events that led to a final outcome. If we can be more aware of our own hindsight bias that creeps in whenever we are learning what happened in an accident scenario, then we can better defend against whatever human error occurred so it doesn't happen again. Anytime you hear should have, could have, would have in an accident investigation, that is the sign that hindsight bias is creeping in and it's clouding our ability to learn how to prevent a future occurrence. Hindsight bias is pointing toward blaming a worker. Instead of embracing human performance philosophy in order to learn how to defend against human error. Another form of bias is self-serving bias. If we experience a great success, we tend to give the credit to our superior talent or intelligence. If we experience a great failure, we tend to point the finger outward and blame external factors outside of ourselves. The truth can be a shade of gray, a combination of both internal and external factors. Any success I have ever achieved is not my own. It is also the product of all the leaders that have poured into me in my life. So much of what I know that has led to success exists because of people of influence that chose to invest in me. Without them, I would not be where I am today. I would not be at the same level of personal growth and success. There are books that have had major impacts on my life that have led to successes I have experienced. But many of those books started as a gift to me by a person of influence who believed in me. Maybe I chose to read the book, but the leader also took the time to give me a copy. My success is not my own. It is also due to the people who have invested in me over the years. Some of my success is circumstance. I have been provided unique opportunities to excel in certain skills due to the fact that I get to practice those skills on a regular basis. Public speaking is an example. A friend once told me I was polished when describing my public speaking skills. 
He saw me as polished because I have been blessed with the opportunity to practice on a ridiculously regular basis. There are months that I am speaking in public every single workday of every single week of the month. The opportunity to practice that I have been blessed with is inherent to the successes I experience. If I were to give all the credit to myself for my success, then I would be experiencing self-serving bias. Another form of bias is the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is the tendency for unskilled individuals to overestimate their ability and for experts to underestimate their ability. It's normal for very talented people to think they aren't good enough or not celebrate how good they really are. At the same time, there are individuals who think their poop doesn't stink, but boy does it ever. I see this a lot in the safety trainer world. Usually, the loudest people in the room know the least. The quieter people in the room tend to be the most intelligent, wise, self-aware, and the hardest working. This triggers a recent memory where there was this guy in this class I was teaching. He was the loudest, most confident personality in the room. But he also knew the least about safety management of anybody else in the room. The loudest guy in the room, who spoke the most in the loudest volume level, ironically, was also the least knowledgeable guy in the room. There was also this really quiet guy in the room. I couldn't help but notice how he was also one of the most intelligent and self-aware people in the class. He even quietly mentioned the Dunning-Kruger effect later in the week. He could have been referring to the loud, confident guy to explain his behavior. When overly confident people think that they know it all, they tend to advertise to the world that they know it all. They also tend to resist learning anything new. This can create laziness in their behavior and not encourage them to learn more because they think they already know it all. Their confidence, their overconfidence, ends up being the very thing preventing them from learning. So the overconfident, who can often be the loudest people in the room, can actually be the least intelligent on the subject matter. On the other hand, the shy, less confident people tend to constantly search out new knowledge and new wisdom because they lack confidence in themselves. It drives them to work harder. Their lack in self-confidence becomes the driving force that searches out continual knowledge. The irony in all this is that it can be a predictable experience for the loudest, most confident person in the room to be the least intelligent person in the room. They don't grow, they move backwards. They aren't learning due to their overconfidence in themselves. The world keeps moving forward while they stay the same, which means they are actually moving backwards or leaving themselves behind. The quieter, less confident people you encounter can be some of the most intelligent, growth-minded, self-aware people you will ever meet. That is the Dunning-Kruger effect.
Then there's groupthink bias. This occurs when a group of individuals morph into a common belief system. People tend to go along with groupthink, especially when there are highly influential leaders within the group. If Bob and Jim are really smart, successful people, others may go along with and adapt to their beliefs. They are conforming to groupthink. They minimize conflict when they conform. They create harmony when they conform. People can let go of alternative viewpoints just so they don't rock the boat. Many don't want to be the unpopular resistant outsider, nor do they want to be criticized for the lone outside view. At the same time, the group may be suppressing alternate viewpoints, further isolating alternate beliefs that could be valuable to learning. The best ideas are always new thoughts that haven't been thought before. The last thing we want to do is to suppress a new idea. It's important to remember, whenever you put together a focus group or an event learning team, the ideas of the team are not always true equal percentages of the thoughts of each individual. They're often mostly the thoughts of the loudest, most influential personalities in the group that have influenced others to adapt to their beliefs and not rock the boat. This is due to groupthink bias. If you consider the Dunning-Kruger effect could happen in combination with groupthink bias, the idea presented by the group could actually be a lesser intelligent version of the individual beliefs that have been silenced. There is a good chance that the most intelligent ideas have been suppressed a little. Although groupthink can be very productive, it is also productive to engage people one-on-one. The last form of bias I want to discuss is the fundamental attribution error. Stereotyping is a perfect example of this. I come from eastern Washington. Hispanics have been living there for generations. If you see someone with brown skin and black hair and assume that they speak Spanish, you are committing the fundamental attribution error. If you are in eastern Washington, there's a good chance that the person you are looking at may have been born there and speaks better English than Spanish, regardless of their skin tone. Another example is thinking that the person riding your bumper is just in too big of a hurry or a risky driver. I heard a story from a family member once that brings this to light. My father was driving down the road and someone was hell-bent on passing him. He originally thought that the driver was just in too big of a hurry and needed to chill out. My dad purposely tried to prevent him from passing. But when the driver was finally able to pass, my dad noticed that the driver was throwing up all over the steering wheel. Maybe the other driver was just trying to get to the hospital or get to a point where he could pull over and clean himself up. He said he never assumes why drivers are in a hurry after that experience. You never know what all strangers are going through. There are many forms of stereotyping that people do based on race, religion, age, sex, and political affiliation. But whenever we label someone, we narrow our focus. Labels never tell the full story. 
They might point in a direction, but they are more like a compass than a road map, and sometimes they can be way off base. People are deep and complex, and any label we give them never tells us the depth of who they really are. When we instantly label a person, we are committing the fundamental attribution error. So next time you go on the internet and find evidence that backs up something you believe to be true, just remember that doesn't make it true. You are just confirming that other people have chosen the same truth that you have chosen to believe. Whenever we make those should've, would've, could've statements about the behavior of others, especially if it involves workplace accidents, remind yourself that you have the luxury of knowing the outcome. The victim did not have that luxury. The next time you are in a class or a board meeting, remember that the loudest, most confident person in the room could be the least knowledgeable on the subject matter. The reserved, quiet, and less confident person could be the smartest person in the room and the hardest working. Remind yourself that the ideas of your safety committee could be groupthink bias. Their ideas may consist mostly of the opinions of two or three strong personalities in the group. It doesn't mean that the entire group actually believes in the idea presented. They may just not want to rock the boat. The majority of the committee may just be going along with the flow to avoid conflict. And lastly, stereotyping never tells the full story. People will surprise you, and they don't always neatly fit into the generalized categories that the world likes to label them with. A carpenter in construction may have a bachelor's degree in education and decided to change his career on purpose. That's actually a bias I've experienced before. When I first started in safety, I used to perform a lot of site safety audits. I remember thinking this group of carpenters was uneducated. I found out during the audit that the foreman had more college education than I did. He had just chosen to leave his career because he found out he could make more money in construction. Like most things here, I share these ideas from first learning through failing. So next time you notice bias in yourself, see if you can challenge that belief. See if you can find evidence that does not support what you believe to be true. See if you can entertain a different belief for a moment. It doesn't mean you are giving up what you believe to be true. It just means you are willing to entertain another truth to deepen your level of understanding. It just means you recognize that all of us experience bias from time to time. When we are aware of our bias, we can diminish our bias. And we are also setting an example for others whenever we do this. When you see this bias in others, see if you can ask them questions that help point them towards a greater understanding of alternate viewpoints. Not to change the truths that they have chosen to be more like yours, but to help them see the deeper truth that all of our truths are actually choices we have made. Have a great week. If you learned something valuable today, please share it with others. For more information, 
head over to leaderthink.com.